gentlemen to the we're having a good time podcast my name is dusty slay and i'm here with my co-host and wife hannah hogan here we go all right welcome to the podcast thank you um we've had we missed a week um i was supposed to record a podcast on the road but i i messed up and didn't do it and I wanted to do it uh, about the land and the journey of the land, mainly because I want to make a uh, a video about the land. I got a guy working on some videos, so some things can come out of the land, and and you know you can see our journey building this cabin. Uh, but I forgot that when I wrote these show notes. I'm just remembering that now. Uh, so maybe next time I'll do one all about that. Um, and I've called this podcast. Uh, you know, in my description, I don't know if you ever read the description. I say it's a podcast about drinking drugs and the Bible, right? That's all you need. And it's a real summary, uh, but I just think it's fun, you know? I'm not trying to be like, I'm into the Bible, but also I'm cool. I'm trying to be like, I've not always done the right thing, but I'm trying to get on track. Yeah. That kind of thing. Yeah. More like that. Mm-hmm. Um. So it feels good. It feels like a solid title. Yeah, I think it's authentic. Yeah. And that way, you know, I feel like if someone actually reads a description and you come here uh, because you like my stand-up, you're not, like, shocked by what's happening. Mm-hmm. You're not like, whoa, this dude's talking about the Bible now? What am I listening to? Because uh, Brian Bates told me one time that he was listening a- at night like with the baby, and I guess his wife got up, and his wife asked him the next day, she goes, Would you, were you listening to a sermon last night? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, you know what I mean? Well, you've often told me you might quit comedy one day and be a preacher. Yeah, I mean, I mean, that's what I always thought about. When I first met you, I was in New York City, and I was, um, you know, pursuing comedy but I was I even talked to you about that time where I was in this debate of should I do comedy or be a preacher I mean I think I've made the right choice Mm -hmm. because it's going well but who knows maybe it's going well because I was supposed to be a preacher yeah maybe this is the devil doing this for you I know keeping you from the Lord well I mean could be maybe if Dusty Slay the comedian turned into Dusty Slay the preacher we'd have a real revival out here. Oh, wow, you're really putting the heat on me right here. Well, I'm I'm trying to be authentic too. Yeah. Well, you know, I had a comic tell me one time we were working together and he said a youth pastor, maybe not a youth pastor, but some pastor of his told him that he felt like comedians were preachers that missed their calling. Mm. And that has always stuck with me. I wonder why. <laughs> yeah. I wonder why. So, um, so I do think about that. But I, you know, and last week we told a bunch of um, stories about weed. You know, we talked a lot about weed. So I had someone message me, and it was a preacher. And I just wanted to, uh, you know, uh, read this message and bring that into the conversation here. Let's see. So it's, um, I won't say his name. And he's very nice, and I'm not mad at him. 
He said, big fan of your podcast, big fan of your comedy and podcast, as well as Nate Land. Uh, I would love to hear on your podcast. Uh, I would love, I can't read. I would love to hear on your podcast, you break down as a Christian man, someone who talks about the Bible consistently publicly. Uh, I don't know that I'm that public about it. I guess I do it on the podcast, but anyway, even follows Old Testament law and festivals. Uh, I think before you start the podcast, you should read the emails first, just to really get yourself familiar with words. Well, you know, you know I did read it. That's mm. the sad part. Out loud, though? I don't know if I read it out loud. Okay. It's worded a lot. He's got a lot of parentheses in here. Oh, okay. You know, so I'm trying to skip where he's, like, adding in his own, like, commentary. Do you want me to talk for a couple seconds on the podcast while you practice? <laughs> you read the... Re, you read the... I'll read it. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, hopefully I don't mess this up. Is this in the gray? Yeah. Hey, Dusty. Big fan of your comedy and podcast, as well as Nate Land. I would love to hear you on your podcast. See what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I would love to hear on your podcast you break down as a Christian man, someone who talks about the Bible consistently publicly, which I love, even follows the Old Testament and festivals, which is off base with Orthodox Christianity. But anyway, see a lot of run-on sentences yeah. here, buddy. It's really your writing, not our reading. Um, how do you square your faith with smoking weed? Mm. It seems odd to me that you follow Old Testament law, with, but smoke weed. I'm not trying to be critical, but would love to hear you break that down. Going to be a big fan and follower regardless. Again, all love from me, but I'm curious. Well, all right. So it was difficult to read. I'm not yeah. trying to criticize his writing either. Because I think he, he just wrote the message on the fly. Yeah. Yes. Um, but yeah, so, and I already responded to him. Everything's fine. We're talking. But I uh, just thought that that's an interesting question. I talked about it a little bit last week when we told all those stories where I said, I don't really know where it lines up. Like there's some obvious ones, right? There's... Um, you know, uh, there's verses that just straight up say, do not uh, get drunk, right? So you can easily say, okay, well, that there it is. I mean, there were people in the Bible that were drinking, but it just says, don't get drunk, right? Mm -hmm. So that's kind of my view on it, right? And I, I'm not saying it's right. I'm not trying to justify it. Uh, in fact, last week when I was doing some shows, there was a guy who did a guest spot now, I shouldn't even say that. Now now people might know who I'm talking about. All right, forget I said it. So I just feel like that weed is like, as long as you're not like abuse, and I could be totally wrong. I'm not trying to justify weed. I don't really know where I'm at with it. But this is my thought process. As long as you're not like, you know, like if I were to have one beer a day, uh, I really don't think that would be a big deal. But I can't have one beer a day. I have a beer... And suddenly I want to really party and I need to really drink. I think even if I had two beers a day, it wouldn't be that big of a deal. But two beers fuels me up to drink and then I get drunk and then I go, you know, I black out, you know. And when you black out, it's weird that you would be blacked out, but your body would still be going. So it's like something's come into you and it's now running your body. I think the same. If you do a little bit of weed, I don't think that um, I, I don't I don't understand the problem with it. 
But if you let it run your life and you fall into a place, and I know people that I know people that can drink just fine, but like go wild with weed, right? And that's kind of how I am with alcohol, right? Like with weed, I don't know. I don't feel like I really do that much volume-wise. Uh, whereas drinking, you know, I'd tear it up. I don't know if that's a good answer. You're well, I just think the whole the whole idea is we're human, right? So just because we know what we should do doesn't mean that we're going to do what we should do. And just because you you know, you you feel convicted about, you know, the Torah and following the laws and that doesn't mean doesn't mean you, you don't sometimes spend money on a Saturday. Doesn't mean um, you know, you're always, you know, observing the way you should be or it doesn't mean that hey, you know, maybe weed isn't the most holy thing to do. Like, it, it's just like, just because you're saying this, I think the problem is, you know, on the podcast is it comes, it does come across as you're, as you're preaching and telling other people, you better figure this out. Well, I always say that that's not what I'm doing. Uh, but I think that's what it comes across as. Well, I mean, and that's what I always try to say, though, is it's like, you know, it, it, it is about like, but but I think it's a little different with the with the weed thing because... If there were a direct verse that I found that said, hey, you know, and obviously this is silly, but if it was like, don't do weed, right, uh, then it'd be like, okay, all right, that's clear. I should not mess around with that. And there is the verse about being uh, um, sober and vigilant, right? And it's like, but I think we take sober uh, to our own, you know, we we use our own definitions for wh- whatever we want. Like we, we see sober and we mean don't be intoxicated with something. But I think sober can mean other things, like even like pay attention, like know what's going on, be be sober-minded in the sense that you don't get clouded with propaganda or with lies. I mean, you know, pay attention. And I think it can be about not using substances too. But what is sober? Is one drink of uh, wine sober? Is one, you know, beer sober? Is it saying never have a glass of wine? You know, that's my point. Is like I can't even pinpoint that it's actually wrong. I think it feels like we shouldn't be doing it, but I don't feel heavily convicted by it. You don't. You don't. No. No. No, and I'm saying you don't. Yeah. I mean, it's like I think if you were like, you know, if you're waking up every day, you're stoned the entire day, it's starting to affect your life, you're slacking off at work, you're not getting things done that you need to be getting done, then that's a problem. But, and I think, you know, I have been in places, especially during uh, COVID, right? When we had all this time off where I had to go, all right, I got to get this in check because I just be like, I got nothing to do all day. And I'm like, people are wanting me not to do anything. So I'm like, this is, I never had motivation like this to be this lazy ever in my life. So I had to be like, all right, I can't go down that road. So... Yeah, I've, I, you know, for some reason I felt like this uh, email and uh, conversation will be more like fun and jokey, mm. but um, it seemed to take a serious turn. Okay. But I just wonder if my answer is clear, though. Yeah. Okay. All right. Good. All right. So then uh, there were some other emails that I thought, well, I'll, I'll move right into those after this. But now that we've read that one, I think let's maybe save the emails for the end. 
Okay. It seems more serious than I want it to be. Okay. I appreciate that message. What if I do less talking? If no, no, I could have used you to do more talking, I think, in that one. Oh, wow. Okay. Really jump in there. Oh, okay. Yeah, this is great. I think this is going well. We're having a serious time. <laughs> We're having a serious time. Yeah, we haven't done our week. We didn't do a podcast last week, so we got a little out of our rhythm. And I just never know how much to say. Yeah. All right. So this is so last week we this is where we've been. Last week we went down to Alabama. Um, I had a run of shows, and I'm from Alabama. So me and Hannah and Daisy loaded up in the in the uh, what we were loaded up in the car, and um, we drove down to my mom's house. And we stayed with my mom. I've not stayed with, and I stayed at my mom's house in a long time. My mom has had, since I left her house, she's had various people living with her. My sister and brother-in-law lived with her for a while. Nephew, both my nephews live with her. Uh, my step-niece and her son and her daughter live with my mom along with her husband and then another nephew and his wife and their baby and a few dogs have lived there. It's just been, you know, I mean, various people have moved there. Just sometimes paying rent, most of the time not, I think. Um, And um, sometimes people, their job would be, their rent would be to clean up the yard, and then the yard would be a wreck. But my mom's got, everybody's doing great now, and my mom's got her own place, and it's fun, and we stayed there, and um, and then we, I had two nights. Oh, we drove down, and then we stopped in, uh, at a Bucky's in Athens, Alabama. Now, I've always been against Bucky's. I think it's too much. I think it's a fiasco. It's a making a mockery of us as human beings. They're like, you know what? These people will be entertained by a gas station. And then there's just too many people in there, and I hate it. But we stopped at the one in Athens, Alabama, at night, and it was not packed out. It was still busy for nighttime at a gas station, but it wasn't packed out. You could move around in there. The employees weren't so busy that they could actually talk to you. A guy came up to me, recognized my comedy, talked to me, an employee of Bucky's, we talked for a minute. I, I made it a point to remember his name, but I have forgotten it. I think his name was Anthony, matter of fact, and it said Tony on his name tag. So <laughs> shout out to Tony down at the Bucky's in Athens, Alabama. But I loved it. It really turned me around on Bucky's. We got some brisket sandwiches, gave me terrible heartburn, but it was tasty. I ate, I bought two, I ate one, and then, and then Hannah stepped on the other one for a while in the car. <laughs> So I tried to eat this flat brisket sandwich. <laughs> and I absolutely refused to take responsibility for that. Yeah, you were like, where else am I supposed to put it in the car? And the car was very full. But there's other places than under your feet. Yeah. But And then we got some beef jerky, but we didn't eat it fast enough. It got real dry. I bought Daisy a little uh, a Bucky the Beaver stuffed animal. She's probably sleeping with it right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just thought it was a great experience. Matter of fact, when we pulled out of that beautiful place, you said, that's changed my mind about Bucky's. I did say that. And, and then I couldn't figure out how to get out of there, out yeah. of the parking lot. Yeah, because when you roll up in the daytime out of Bucky's, it's, 
It's too much. It's insane. It's like being at Dollywood, except you're not even waiting in line for a ride. Yeah, it feels like, okay, we're in the future, and one day this is probably going to be a FEMA camp. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, it, well, it's just so packed in there, and it just, it's it's like, what are we all getting in here? <laughs> you know, and the brisket sandwich was good, but I got a, I, I, you know, I had a, a bit of barbecue this weekend, brisket and chicken sandwiches, and I'm about done for a while, but it just gives me heartburn now. I don't know what it is. but So we went down to Alabama. We stayed with my mom that night. Daisy cried a lot. I had to get in the crib with her to try to comfort her. So Hannah woke up, and I'm sitting in a pack-and-play with a, with Daisy. I mean, it's a 25-pound limit, so I was just blown away that it didn't even break. Yeah. And so, but we finally got her to go to sleep. And then we had a good time in town. We went out. Uh, my sister came down to visit uh, with my nephew, and we went to uh, Jim Bob's chicken fingers there and uh ate ate dinner i ran into my friend jim spain and gina morgan a couple of uh, former opelika high school students gina owns jim bobs uh jim is um i don't know maybe head chef i don't know if your your chef's at jim bobs but he's rocking it out in there he's there yeah he's rocking it out uh jim somebody i've seen the most in opelika lately because i always go to jim bobs and jim's always there um, so that's fun. I found a picture of, uh, of a soccer team I was in in elementary school and me and Jim standing right next to each other. Same team. Mm. Amazing. Yeah. So then, um, after that, we drove around Opelika. We went to the old trailer park. I always love to do that. All the trailers are gone now. There was one or two left that were just rotting there, but now they're all gone and honestly, the woods are coming back there completely, and it looks fairly nice. It looks like a forest back there as opposed to an old, rundown trailer park. It's sad. I mean, in a way, I wish the trailer park was still there so I could just drive through and be like, oh, I used to live in this trailer park. But now you can't even really tell it used to be anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then my dad came down, and we went to a Mexican restaurant there in Tigertown, right next to Jim Bob's, almost two stores down from Jim Bob's. And it was great. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my uncle and my aunt came down. My uncle Don on Aunt Anne came down to my mom's house, and we sat and hung with him for a while. It was a big family day. We jammed it in. And then we, um, you know, we went to sleep. And the next morning I got up and I went to meet my dad. My dad meets with all these old men that he used to work with. He used to sell insurance with all these old men. They meet at a place called Jack's. Every Tuesday, Wednesday, and uh, and eat at Jack's. And they just sit around the table and talk and eat at Jack's. So I show up to meet them, and they're all out in the parking lot. And apparently it was closed because a manager didn't show up. So all the employees are there, no manager. They got a manager from another town coming in. So we go to Hardy's, bunch of old men in there. That Hardy's is packed. You hear them talking. One old man said, we're here from... Jack's because it couldn't open. And then another old man said, they couldn't open Burger King either. So I think all the old men had to come to Hardee's because all the other places were, were shut down. Mm. So we got, you know, we got our, and they acted like they had never been to a Hardee's. My dad acted like he had never been to Hardee's. He's like, I don't even know what to get here. Wow, really stumped him. Yeah, and I was like, get the biscuits and gravy. And he's like, I guess we'll try this out. 
And Hardee's has a great biscuits and gravy. I don't eat it now because it's sausage gravy, but I used to tear up a Hardee's biscuit and gravy. Um, it's crazy your dad was opting for Jack's over Hardee's all these years. That's what I'm saying. I guess Jack's has pancakes too. Okay. And that's what he likes to get. But I'm all about Hardee's for breakfast. Jack's you can find in any depressed, rural, isolated area. Yeah. Yeah, you know, the Jack's in where my dad lives in Lafette it used to be Hardee's. Mm-hmm. They took over the Hardee's. Yeah, when a Jack's comes to town, it ain't good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it... Um, but yes. maybe the food's good. So we had a great breakfast, and then, um, you know, a couple people that I went to school with their children uh, came in and said hey to me, stopped by the table to say hey. They were like, hey, you went to school with my daughter. What were you talking about with the old man? Well, uh, because the Hardee's likes to uh, implant their tables into the ground, you can't move them. So there was a four top and a two top side by side. Mm. So the old men sat at the four top and me and my dad sat at the two top. So really I just talked, um, just talked to my dad. And then I would, you know, talk, I would say something here and there to them about Alabama football or Auburn football or, you know, something like that. And uh, talk about comedy a little bit, where I'm going, what's happening. And then uh, my dad had me go outside and then I, took individual pictures with each one of the men, and then we took a group photo. And then I took a photo of just them. Mm-hmm. So we had a big photo session outside of the Hardee's. Your dad loves taking pictures. Yeah. Yeah. He got an iPhone now. Yeah. I think he's got like an 8, though. But, yeah, I think he feels good. Yeah. So, and then, in, then later that day, I cruised on down to Mobile, Alabama. And I got down to Mobile, Alabama. I had I gotten myself an Airbnb, and it felt like it was a very shady neighborhood. In fact, there was a car. I was at the four-way stop, and the car in front of me was stopped at the four-way stop. And another car turned in front of him, and his car, his car was smoking real bad out of the back. And then he stopped and backed his car up, so he sat side by side with that other car, and I'm waiting to go, and they've got me blocked, and I just see them talking to each other, and then they pass each other something from one car to the next. So I figure it was some kind of weed deal had went down, and I didn't want to honk the horn. I thought, well, let's just let this deal happen. Mm-hmm. And then I, after right after that, we pull into my Airbnb, which is very nice, but on either side of it is basically... Uh, houses with the windows boarded up and the doors boarded up. So it doesn't feel like it's the best area. Uh, Shotgun house, really, really not a lot of space on the road, but very deep. And inside was amazing. It was a beautiful house, um, but a little sketchy on the outside. Um, But I had two shows at the Alabama Music Box. So I'm at the Alabama Music Box. One block over, Louis C.K. is at the Sanger Theater. And I sold out my first show at the Alabama Music Box. And then we added a second, and I, you know, sold it a little over half. So that was awesome. Hot shows. I mean, really, those two shows, especially the late show, uh, was my favorite shows I've done in a long time. It was hot. I mean, they were just, I mean, I thought I had wrote 10 new minutes. I wrote a joke. I said, you know, I like the way Mobile is spelled because I grew up in a trailer park 
And um, if I had been smarter, instead of having to write Lot 8 Morse Trailer Park, I would write, I had, would have write Mobile Home Park. And then when people said, oh, you live in a trailer, I would go, no, it's Mobile Home Park. It's like a neighborhood modeled after homes like you would see in Mobile. Mm. And they'll go, oh, that sounds cool. I'd like to see it. And I'll go, well, keep in mind, it is like the poorest area of Mobile. And that joke was such a huge hit in Mobile. Mm-hmm. Not in this room, not in Baton Rouge, not in Lafayette, not in New Orleans, but in Mobile that night, it was a big hit. You had to be there. Yeah. And then I, but I, in, by the time I got to Lafayette, I had added a part and I said, you know, if I had to, one day when I retire, I'll move to Mobile and open a mobile home sales business, and I'll call it Mobile Mobile Homes. <laughs> so when it's just written down, people are like, is it Mobile Mobile Home? Oh, yeah, yeah, it's mo- Mobile Mobile Home. I like to say it two times. I just want you to know just how mobile it is. It's fun, though. Or I'll go, no, it's Mobile Mobile Homes, or it's Mobile Mobile Homes. It's homes like you would see in Mobile, but they're mobile. Or I'd say mobile, mobile homes. It's uh, just it's like the type of homes you would see in the city of Mobile, in the county of Mobile. Mobile, mobile, mobile homes. Oh, you're hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I pay you big bucks. So I thought that was a lot of fun. I had a lot of fun with those jokes. And... Um, I also was talking about how I had not stayed with my mom in a long time and um, how I used to party at her house a lot. And I thought, you know, I'm cutting up grapes right now for Daisy on the same countertop where I used to crush up Adderall. <laughs> That's for when you need to pay attention fast. Mm-hmm. You don't have time to wait around. Yeah. And our first night, Daisy was crying. We couldn't sleep. And we cried, you know, we couldn't sleep because her baby was crying, but, you know. There was probably a couple of nights you couldn't sleep because you were on drugs. That possibly. That is possibly. I mean, where we were at, it's interesting to think how, how houses will change over time. But at one point, you know, I had where, where Daisy would have been, I had a desk set up. And on that desk is where I had all my mice in the aquariums on top of the desk. And then I had another desk on the other side where I had a, a computer, so I had my own little workstation. Mm. Mice on one side, computer on the other. Like a real scientist vibe. Yeah. But I would just play The Sims, the original version of The Sims. Did you ever play that? No. I got really into Sims. Yeah. Um, so that was a lot of fun. And then the next day I went to Baton Rouge, Louisiana, to a club called Chelsea's Live uh, and it was really fun. I walked around Baton Rouge. I liked the city. I didn't get to go down on the campus. I wanted to. Um, I had the time, but just something in me. When I got to go to another city from another city, I'm like, let's just get there. I don't mess around looking at stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I want to be that kind of person, but I just can't do it. So uh, I did eat at a restaurant there. I had a. Uh, I didn't. I can't get any of the Cajun food. All the Cajun food is uh, pork and. Shellfish. I mean, it looks so delicious. I walked by this oyster, and I googled, "Is oysters a unclean fish?" Because I knew it was an unclean fish, but I was just—I was hoping for a loophole, honestly. And I don't think that's the way to do it. I think if you want the oysters, then then the the spirit of the law is not not working, right? 
but I, I did want the oysters. I had not had oysters in a long time and just walking around, it looked fun, but I didn't do it. Um, you could have just had it and then repented. That's true. But I just felt like, I don't know. I feel like that's not right. I, I just don't feel I'm that tempted by food. You know, I know a lot of people are, but I, I just don't feel that tempted by food. Um, but it just felt right on the street that day. Mm. It was a little bit warm. I thought, man, that would be cool to eat some oysters right now. I used to tear up oysters. Oh, man. I used to tear them up. I went to an oyster fest one time. Ralph Stanley was playing there. Uh, and they had an oyster-eating contest. And I thought, oh, I love eating oysters. I'll, I'll get in that. And because I, you know, I love to shuck them and, and eat them and, and, you know, steamed or, or raw, both really good. And I thought, well, I can eat a lot of them. And I thought that's what it'd be, like just a bunch of oysters, and you have to shuck them and, and eat them. And I got up there, and it was just a cup of raw oysters, just a styrofoam cup with nothing but raw, snotty little oysters filling the cup. And there was two cups there. And I got up there and I was like, okay. And I started, when the buzzer went off, I started to drink the first cup. And I got maybe four or five oysters swallowed. And I look over and the guy next to me slams his cup down like he's already finished it. He drank this whole probably 20-ounce paper cup of styrofoam cup of oysters, and I had gotten like four down. I was like, oh, okay. And I just left the stage. <laughs> I was like, there's no chance I'm winning, and this is not at all what I thought it'd be. I'm just going to get out of here. Do you take your oysters with you? No, I did not want those oysters. It's like when, you, when, when I worked at Heimage, you know, and they, would, they had the fried oysters— they had the regular oysters that they would shuck and steam for you. But if you ordered fried oysters, they just came in a tub. And then they would just take the oysters out and fry them up. And I mean, they're delicious, but it's just a tub of them. You don't want to just drink a tub of oysters. No. No, you don't. And I just had the contest all wrong. So, so I didn't do it. But the show was really fun at Chelsea's. It was the longest merch line I've had in a long time. I did about an hour and 20 minutes on stage. And then we had about an hour at the merch line. And I, I mean, I love it. It wore me out, but I love it because it's like, uh, I appreciate people coming to the show. And I appreciate, um, you know, people buying stuff and people just taking pictures. Um, and then after that, I went out to Lafayette, Louisiana. And, oh, I went in Baton Rouge. I went to a cigar club. I thought it was just a cigar bar that stayed open late, but it was really like an uh, 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 older R&B crowd. I mean, they had a live R&B band, a lot of like mainly like 50-year-old black dudes, uh, a few women, but it was mainly seemed like a dude hangout. Now, if I was looking to hang and just listen to music, I think it would have been great. But I was trying to hang out with the other comics and smoke some cigars and talk to them. So it was way too loud. So we huddled around a table outside, uh, and that was fun. And then Lafayette, I did a club in a hotel, Club 337. It's just a, uh, it used to be, I guess, a nightclub inside the hotel. And they've now converted it into a comedy club. And so many of those with that description are just such a nightmare. But this, this club was amazing. 
I mean, the show was sold out. Um, and yeah, I mean, it was just like, just felt just like a comedy club, like a very low ceilings, tight comedy club. And it was hot. And I did again about an hour and 20 minutes. I mean, I was really stretching out on these shows and it felt good. I mean, at one point I remember being very intimidated by a 45 minute headlining set. And now doing an hour and 20 feels good. Mm-hmm. That show was hot. And then we went to a, uh, we went to a cigar bar and the way the, the laws are in Louisiana is I guess you're not allowed to smoke in a bar and if they serve alcohol, they're considered a bar, right? So this building was set up in a way to where it was split. It was a building split in two. And, you know, the bar on one side, the cigar bar on the other side. But they had two doors and a little foyer. What do they call it? Foyer. Foyer. Yeah, so you had to go out of the cigar shop, out of one door, and then into a little foyer, and then into another door. Jeez, you go then, to New Orleans for two seconds and you start acting French. <laughs> well, yay. But, well, I don't know how to pronounce it. But the um, then it's the bar on the other side. But they said if not for the foyer, then um, that, that it wouldn't be considered a separate places. Uh-huh. So it's the same business, but you can't buy alcohol on the cigar side and you can't take your cigar to the alcohol side. But you can go get the alcohol, bring it back to the cigar side. Just a weird kind of joint, you know. But we hung out in there pretty late. And uh, uh, one comic from Baton Rouge hung out uh, quite a bit. We, he was doing shows in the same town. Uh, Dwayne, uh, he hung out a bit. And then one night, a guy from, I think his name was Matt, from um, Lafayette hung out. And... We got to talking about, you know, mushrooms and whatnot. And then he started telling wild stories about DMT and stuff like that. And it was like, it was wild. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and Jason Leonard puts on that show in, in Lafayette. And it was fun. I had a lot of fun with that guy's stories. Um, but Jason um, puts on that show there, Club 337 in, in Lafayette. And he... Um, Years ago, I went out to New Orleans and did a run of shows, and I didn't have a hotel in New Orleans and didn't really want to buy one. And that guy was like, I'm here on a work trip, and I have a work hotel. You know, he said, you can stay in there with me, but there's one bed, you know, so you can sleep on the floor. And I said, okay. And because I just needed a place to crash. Mm -hmm. And it was, so, he gave me like the thin bedspread off the bed. You know, like sometimes when you're on the bed, you have the sheet and then the blanket. And then sometimes there's like a thin little. Yeah. Uh, I had that. That was my only blanket. Mm-hmm. I think that's just a cover if you put your suitcase on the bed or something. Yeah, maybe so. That was all I had. But at the time I was like, this is amazing because this saved me 200 bucks. Mm-hmm. So it was great. So, and now he's hooked me up with a great show. And then I ended in New Orleans at the Howling Wolf. And I've been to the Howling Wolf before, but I did the small room. This time I was back, did the big room. It was great. A lot of people came. I appreciate appreciate all the people that came. A lot of people that listen to Nate Land, a lot of people that saw me off Netflix, but also a lot of people that listen to this podcast too. So I just want to give them a shout out, say thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, It was a fun run. 
and now I'm back. And then you drove all the way home. And then I did eight hours back home. You're absolutely right. And it was quite a trip. Well, I'm glad you made it home okay. Yeah, I mean, New Orleans, I had fun. I mean, I, I'm not, I've never been the biggest fan of New Orleans. I went on my street, uh, there was three restaurants. And me and Alec, we found, Alec Parent went with me on all these, uh, opened for me on all these shows. And we went for, um, uh, we went to go to this one restaurant. It seemed like a nice place. And they wouldn't let us in without a reservation, even though they had a lot of empty tables. Um, so we go, all right, well, we'll just, I could have just waited 30 minutes and then they would have sat me, but I was frustrated. So we walk across the street to this uh, restaurant called like Ugly Dog or something like that. And we walk in and it's just a bad layout. It looks like a disaster of a dive bar. We go, nah, we'll go to the other place. So we walk across the street to this taco place and we walk in and the guy goes, no indoor dining. And then I just walk out. Uh, he was trying to tell me about the menu on the outside, but I was just like, it's like raining, so I'm not going to eat outside. Mm -hmm. So we go back to the ugly dog place, which is just a real dump. And I, But I feel like sometimes a dump or a dive can have great food. It's like, you know, there's not much going on with it, but they got good food, and that's why. And then they, So we ordered a couple of burgers, but the description of the burger was like, brisket beef and 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 i thought i thought oh okay this seems good and then it was just like the worst burger i wanted to give all three restaurants bad reviews i didn't do it but i wanted to mm. um so i didn't eat all of that so that was what that was all about mm -hmm. but this trip changed my opinion on new orleans a little bit each time i go i feel like my opinion has changed a little bit not a lot but I, I like the vibe. You know, I get into a vibe of, you know, it's like maybe the overall city I'm not a huge fan of, but the vibe that's in these places that I go to. I think it's got a, I got a cool, like, it's got a Nashville thing to it where people are used to live music. They're used to busy bars and they're just, you know, maybe people, um, they used to say that uh, Nashville, somebody told me this, that Nashville would buy homeless people one-way tickets to uh, New Orleans. I believe that. So it feels like New Orleans is kind of the end of the line for people in the South. Where like, if you're like a homeless person or like a person that's been addicted to drugs, you like go to New Orleans. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a very polarizing city. I feel like you either love New Orleans or you hate New Orleans. Like I've never heard anyone just be like, "Oh, it's all right." Like they're always like, "I hate it" or "I love it." Well, you know, it's like that's kind of how I, I've always been, right? I did a corporate gig there, and I just got – I was in, like, buildings where the casinos were at. The The corporate gig was very fun, but I didn't like the vibe. Uh, but then I went back with Fortune Feebster to Tulane University, and I just saw a different side of New Orleans. And I was like, oh, this is actually really beautiful out here. And and then I drove around the city a bit in the daytime, and, and I liked it. So each time I go there, I feel like I like it a little more. Did you see any witches or voodoo? Not that I'm aware of. Mm. Um, yeah, I might I, be hiding. Yeah, I mean, I, I booked a hotel right next to the Howling Wolf. So I basically drove in, went into my hotel, watched, um, you know, a football game. I, I was pulling for the Jaguars, but they lost. And... Um, and then I ate some food and went to do the show. Mm -hmm. It's a great show. It was a lot of fun. I had a guy open for me. That was a lot of controversy. 
Um, not you con- meant to tell me about this, yeah. but you've not told me. Well, not controversy with me. He's a guy that um, I communicated with on the internet a little bit, and he um, um, sent me some videos of his stand-up, and I think he's a pretty funny guy. So I, he was, I was like, um, uh, I guess he was talking about coming down to see one of my shows, and I'm like, oh, I, and I realized he lived there, and I was like, offered him five minutes, you know, on one of the shows. And I just told him to work on a good, clean, tight five. But apparently there was some controversy. I don't know. He's he's had trouble with the local scene. Oh, yeah. Every scene's got one of these troublemakers. Yeah, apparently he's had trouble. He's always seemed like a nice guy to me in conversation. But, yeah, he had a bit of a... Is he an internet troll? Is he a predator? I think Is... it's the internet. Okay. It's yeah. the internet. Mm-hmm. And... Um, so, um, I, I got other stuff. I, I you know, I, I don't want to share too much here. I'm not trying to. Oh, and this to, is all allegedly. Yeah. I mean, I'm not trying to, to shame the guy or do anything, but he did do the show and in New Orleans and he had a great set. He was very funny and he was very nice to me. He could be an absolute lunatic, but he was nice to me. Well, the thing about internet trolls are they're usually completely normal people in real life. And then something happens to them the second they go onto a screen. And, you know, they're just Winston Churchill out here with their opinions. <laughs> yeah. I mean, was Winston Churchill opinion? I feel like he probably was. I don't know. Probably. But, yeah. So, um, but, yeah, the shows were all good. It was a, v- a fun week, a fun run of shows. I like doing clubs, but I get so, like, you know, I get into the groove of like, I go on a Thursday, I do a show and then I do two Friday, two Saturday, all the same club. And, um, you know, it can get monotonous, even though each show is different, but you're in the same, same vibe. You can also get comfortable and relax, but I don't know. I just liked it. I did hour 15 to hour 20 every show. Well, that's, that's going back to your stand up roots. I mean, even the first few years that we were together, you know, you were always hitting the road in your car and doing these kind of shotgun shows, you might call them. And some of them were good. Some of them were bad. A lot of them were weird. And, you know, but the whole mixture of it all compiles to this overall, you know, strategy of, of learning how to just adapt to situations. Well, yeah. I mean, absolutely. And, and, and that is what I even said to my management, you know, because I haven't done many runs like this since I've been with them, but I used to put these together myself. Mm-hmm. I've done a couple, but this is the first one I've done like this where, you know, all the shows were packed. Not everyone was a sellout, but they were all close. They were all packed shows. Some did sell out. And so it's like, uh, when you when you make these runs and you go to these different cities, it's very rewarding if people actually show up. Mm-hmm. I've made a lot of these runs where there's two or three people in the crowd where you're like trying to put together shows in towns and like you don't know anybody to market to in that town and the venue either doesn't care or they don't know how to market. Mm -hmm. So just no one's there. And then like the guy still wants to bring you back next year. Right. Yes. And, um, you know, we've, we, I've definitely done lots of weird ones, but it is that changing every night to different environments that 
I did a, a, a show in Winston-Salem, North Carolina one time where the stage was the bar. Like, we're just in the bar, and to get up on the stage, you had to climb on the stool and then stand on the bar, and then you just have this one piece of the bar that you stand on. And it was so awkward, but it ended up being such an incredible show. Just so fun. I love going to places where they don't have any other comedy outlet. That's what I feel like Lafayette was. Like Lafayette, I don't know. I mean, it could be loaded with entertainment, but I just feel like they don't have a lot of comedy coming there. So people came to the show, felt like they really appreciated the show. Mm-hmm. I think so. And, I, and, it, and there was an elevator in the hotel. When you go into that hotel, you're at ground level, but you go into the elevator and then you go you know, up to your rooms. But as you go into the elevator, you're on floor two. I guess floor one is down a level and on the back side of the hotel only. So I went down to floor one to go around and go to my car before the show. And then I came around and I waited for the elevator and a door opened and it was a guy and a girl and they were in there with an empty cart and it opened, but they didn't get out. So I just kind of squeezed in there and then hit floor two because that's where I needed to go to. And the guy goes, he goes, why the F are we going up again? Right. And I'm like, well, because that's the only way you can go. You were on the very bottom floor. Mm-hmm. And I think he was just confused about the one and the two and that they were very lost. Mm-hmm. But it was so he was so mad. You know, I think you've probably been mad at an elevator before, too. Yeah, I was mad at that same elevator earlier that day. Yeah, you'd been there. It's just fun to witness it. Yeah. Because he didn't say, why the F? He, he said it. I mean, he was irritated. Mm-hmm. I was like, well, as far as you can go down, man. Better not hope he's trying to get some food out there. <laughs> yeah. Only indoor seating in some of these places. Yeah. Only that's, outdoor seating. That's true. I mean, I, yeah. So that was a lot of fun. That that whole run was great. Mobile, mobile. Mobile, mobile. Mobile, mobile homes. Mm-hmm. Mobile, mobile, mobile homes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I even saw a friend from, a couple of friends from high school at the Mobile show. Mm. My friend Sam Wilkes came. I haven't seen him in a while, and a friend, Willie Jones, came. I haven't saw Willie Jones in even a longer amount of time, probably 20 years. Willie walked up to me. I recognized him, and I couldn't come up with the name right away. He goes, it's Willie. And I go, oh, yes. And then I go, what's your last name? And I'm just trying to, because I just want the whole complete name in my head. And, And he goes, we went to high school together. And I'm like, yeah, I know, but it's... You know, we haven't seen each other in over 20 years. Yeah. Because I graduated, and I saw him a little bit after high school, but not long after. And I've been, and that's, it's 2023. That's 23 years ago when I graduated. I'm definitely at a place now where I'm starting to forget people's first and last names, even just from like a couple years ago. Yeah. And it's kind of disturbs me. Like, I'll be like, I can't believe I can't remember his name. What was that guy's name? Yeah. What was her name? But Willie apparently owns a boat that he does shows on, hmm. and he wanted me to come see his boat. I bet he did. And I was like, "Well, I can't do that. I don't, you know, because I'm at the place where I'm not. I'm not booking any shows in in outside of my management and agents. It's just too much, you know. Even if it seems cool, I'm like, nah, I can't do it. You should be just be like, listen, I wear a vest now." Yeah. That's all you need to know. I love wearing a vest. I got a, 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 you know, we bought this vest when I was just going to do some work out on the land, and I just wanted my core to be warm. I never intended to wear this vest in public, but now I wear it all the time. 
Mm-hmm. I love a vest. Nothing brings a shirt together like a vest. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it, like especially shirts that are a little bit too small and they stretch out the buttons a little bit. You throw the vest over it, nobody even sees. And that's a problem you have. I do have a problem with that. And, and my core is warm now. Yeah. My core is always warm. I, and that's what you really want to protect is the core. Yeah, and I think a lot of people think, oh, you got to cover your head, you got to wear a hat, you got to wear mittens. No, keep the core warm, and you could be wearing a T-shirt out there in January. Yeah, you got to keep the, you know, the extremities, you know, they need to be warm too, but the core is what keeps you alive. Mm-hmm. You want that heart to stay beating. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's cozy. It's like you're wearing a blanket all Yeah, it's time. got little pockets, so if I'm just wearing the, like if I don't want to go full coat, I can wear the vest and I got pockets in there that I can put my hands. I think there's a confidence factor in it as well because it takes a certain kind of man to say, I'm wearing a vest. It's zipped up all the way. Yeah. Hi. I think you're right. And I've not always been this kind of man. Mm -mm. There were times in my life when I would have refused to wear a vest. In fact, I've made fun of people for wearing vests before. You still ask me, is this vest okay? Yeah, well, I you know, I, I like to make sure you're okay with what I'm wearing. Yeah, you do. You do ask me. I dress however okay? I want in the in the world, but if we're going somewhere together, I like to know that you're okay with what I'm wearing. Yeah, that's nice of you. Yeah. Makes me feel like you still love me. Yeah, well, I, I yeah, I mean, I don't know why that, that's, the, <laughs> that's what does it, but. One of the many, one of the many things. But I like a vest. I feel good in it. Now, I have a leather vest that I got at a Western store one time. I don't wear that one. No. You know what? Your 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 style has gotten a little bit more, you know, white collar over the last year or two. I like to think that I'm getting more outdoorsy looking. Like a vest is a hiking vibe. Yeah, I yeah. I like to think I'm more there. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I just... Um, you know, I, I just, you know, I wore, you know, for a long time, I wore just Goodwill clothes. Yeah. I had money to buy things, but I, I would buy a lot of, uh, there was a, a whole lot of time that I spent wearing, um, what are those pants called? Polyester pants. I just thought it was cool to wear these ironic, like, polyester pant designs. Mm-hmm. thought I was very cool and retro. And, you know, I realized when I came back to wearing jeans, I became a a more normal person again. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I rock the, 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 uh, uh, what did I call them? Um, Loafers? Polyester pants for a long time. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if you can picture the kind of pants. Old man pants. They got a little stretch to them. Mm. They got a little plaid on them. I think the thing is, is you thought you were weird and you were like, let me just lean into this. Yes. Let me be this eccentric guy that I'm trying to be. Right. I wanted to be, I wanted to be eccentric. When I drove the 1982 Buick LeSabre, I love that car. Mm -hmm. I mean, I thought this is my thing. I drive an old car. I dress like an old man. This is who I am. I might not have said those words, but that was the vibe I was feeling. You know, I used to dress real hippie, too, and I just remember in high school and in my early 20s, like, when my friends would give me a birthday present, they'd be like, it's such a Hannah shirt, I thought you'd love it, and it's got, like, you know, 
puke-colored tie-dye and fluff balls all over it. And I'd be like, I do like that. You know? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I wore real hippie things, but I don't dress like that anymore. Yeah. And it's kind of sad. You know, I've just kind of become basic. But at the same time... Uh, it feels good to be basic. Like I kind of like finally being able to just be basic. I think so too. I think there is something about you're, you're expressing yourself with your clothes. And then I think you either just get tired of expressing yourself or you find different ways to do it. Yeah. I feel like me finding comedy and doing comedy helped me to not be a wild person that was desperate for attention in every room that I was ever in. I was the kind of person that always was loud in a store to get other people to look at me or, you know, and and all those sorts of things to where now... I uh, have an outlet the same way for clothes. I don't want, I wanted people to look at me and what I was wearing and be like, can you believe I'm wearing this? Um, but now I don't. I, I like a more normal look. You like a vest. I like a vest and it feels good. But, you know, I was thinking about there's a song by Thomas Rhett called Country Again. It's on your playlist. I heard it the other day and that's what made me think of this. Because I like that song and I relate to it a whole lot. But, you know, it seems like in that song, what he's done is he's from Georgia or Tennessee and he's moved to L.A. and now he's back again, right? So I never made that move. So it doesn't make sense why that song resonates with me so much. But I think that it's – I moved to Charleston, South Carolina, which is a southern city, but it is not country, Right. So I moved to Charleston when I was 21 and I got into this uh, vibe of how I would dress. And, you know, it's a little more of a pastel colored uh, polo shirt city. Beach pretentious. Yes. A lot of loafers, a lot of old money, a lot of old southern money, a lot of uh, men with women's names kind of thing. Yeah. You know, that sort of thing. And, I, you know, I got into that vibe a good bit. I wore khakis for a long time. Uh, I made friends with a lot of people not from the South. Um, one friend that, that we talk about sometimes is uh, a friend named John that I knew. And he moved down from Boston uh, into the apartment complex I was living in on James Island. He was a recovering alcoholic who had left his family just for them to take some space. I don't think he officially said, I'm leaving forever, but they made an arrangement for him to come down and take some space. And he was a recovering alcoholic. On the day he moved, I think he had movers move his stuff in, but on the day he officially moved down to his apartment, I was sitting out on the porch with some other neighbors, like the community porch, really drunk, playing loud Neil Young. And this guy was a big Neil Young fan, I would later learn that he was in a band and me and him would become friends. And we did a radio show together, a college radio show together, where he, I had a, there was this girl that that I kind of liked that was, I kind of liked her. I I did not have a huge crush on her. I kind of liked her. Uh, She was listening to the radio show that we were doing one night and said, play me a song, right? And, and, all John wanted to do was play songs and all I wanted to do was talk on the radio. And so he goes, Oh, I got one. And he played her 
one of his songs off one of his albums that I had never heard before. And I didn't even really pay that much attention to it. And I listened to it not long ago. And I, I was like, wow, that, and me and that girl never went on a date. And after listening to that song, I go, oh, that's why. That song's way too intense for a girl I just kind of like. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, you know, me and him got to be friends and he took me out on his boat. His wife came down and I took the girl I was dating at the time. We went out on a boat. He had like a like a speed boat. It was very nice. Uh, but, you know, it's always a situation with people. They want to drive you around on their boat and then they want you to help you clean it up or they want you to pay for gas or something. It's like, uh, don't invite me on the boat. If I invite you on, if I invite myself on the boat, I go, hey, John, let's take your boat out then I should get in on some of that. But you invite me out on the boat for the first time, don't complain about gas and, and washing the boat down. You do that on, you drop me off when we're done and then you do that on your own time. Because I'm pretty drunk at this point, right? Mm-hmm. I know that sounds selfish, but that's how I am. I don't like boats. Mm-hmm. Because people always want some help with the boat. I'm like, I didn't even want to come out here and now I'm washing your boat. So, but I like this guy. And I had just started getting back into comedy. This was around 2008. And he, uh, I missed the deadline for getting into the Charleston stand-up comedy competition. Partway because uh, I was lazy about it. And another way, maybe I was a little nervous about it. I didn't really, I didn't really feel like I was ready for the big competition. It's really kind of my first year doing comedy. But John got all bent out of shape and ended up sending them an email on my behalf talking about how ridiculous it was that they wouldn't let me in. And, and, um, and they offered me a spot. They were like, I don't know who this guy is, but we can give you a spot if you want a spot. So as annoying as it was, it was also effective. He's your first manager. Yeah, it was also effective. Uh, but I ended up not doing it that year. And, um, uh, and John, one time, there was him and another guy named Justin. They lived, uh, Justin worked at the apartment complex we lived in. And, and, you know, me and John just lived there. And John had his band up and going. He was doing a lot of shows around town, uh, you know, doing pretty good for himself, getting booked pretty well. And then, um, and then Justin's band was also doing really good. His band was called Jupiter's Garden. Justin's band was actually great. I jammed his album for a long time. Had a real Jack Johnson feel to it, if you're into that sort of thing. But less happy. Less happy than Jack Johnson. Um so Justin and John were co-headlining at the Poor House on James Island. And my friend, John Brennan, had been like, he's like, this is a different John. He's like, you need to get a bunch of, you need stage time. He's like, that's what you need. In comedy, you need stage time. Just stage time, stage time, stage time, stage time. So he's like, I want you to get, he said, you got friends that are in bands. Ask them, can you open for them? Try to get up everywhere you can. So I asked John about doing a set on his show. And he goes, yeah, you can go in between us. So I said, okay, perfect. And so there's not a lot of people at this place. They did not sell a lot of tickets. And the majority of people there are friends of Justin's, people I've seen around. They're also my friends now, but also friends of their friends. So, you know, there's 20 people or so there. So uh, John goes up and his band plays and they do, do all right. And he, he told me before, he, did, he said this, he go, and I know I've told this story on the podcast before, but it's been a while. He goes, he goes now, he said, since, since I got you this gig, now, in thinking about that, it's like, I could have just got it from Justin. 
But either way, he goes, since I got you this gig, he goes, I want you to do something for me. He goes, when we're done playing, he goes, I want you to go out and go, oh, that was great, huh? They, that was a great, they, give it up for John and his band. How about, how about one more song, huh? You know, see if John will come out and play one more song. And then he wanted me to get him to, get him to go, uh, encore, encore, encore. That's what he wanted me to do. And, uh, and so I, I was like, um, I was like, okay, it was real awkward, but I go out and those 20 people are standing there and I go, hey, give it up for John, huh? What a great set. And, you know, they kind of clap. Then I go, you guys want to hear him play one more song? And then nobody was like, yeah. And I was like, huh? How about one more song? Encore. And no one was chanting encore. And then I turn around to look at John like, no one's doing it. And he's headed out with his guitar, (laughs) ready to play, right? He, He was ready to go. And then the guy comes over like the God mic, as they call it. I don't prefer the term. But where he goes, the God mic, he goes, yeah, uh, that's not really how it works. Uh, We need to get the next band set up. And I go, oh, okay. So then John goes off. And then I go, all right, well, I'll just do my stand-up then. Because this is where I was supposed to do stand-up. So I start telling my jokes. And then he goes, yeah, that's not really how it works either. We got to get this whole thing flipped up. So I need you to get off the stage. So (laughs) it's very embarrassing. So now I get off the stage and then Justin goes, hey, you can do 10 minutes at the beginning of my set, which the whole idea was to just fill in the empty space. Now I'm taking 10 minutes of his set and now this thing is way overblown. And then I go up and I do 10 minutes and I basically get polite laughter the whole time. It's one of the worst sets I've ever done. One of my most embarrassing sets because it was just so forced that by the time I actually got up there, it really needed to be good and it wasn't good. So that's what I was doing for a long time. You didn't have those kind of great jokes that you have now, mobile, mobile. Right, right. You couldn't just kind of hit him with some of that local zest. Yes, exactly. Well, I would have crushed that. Zest with a vest. I would have crushed that in-between spot now. Yeah. I mean, for sure I would have. Those 20 people, they would have been dying. But I was hanging out with people like that. This guy was from Boston. And I was doing all that kind of stuff. And that was kind of my whole vibe in Charleston for a long time. So when I moved to Nashville, it's like I got rid of that vibe that I had in Charleston. And I came back to like a more Southern roots. I started wearing uh, cowboy boots when I moved here and started really getting into it. So listening to him on that song, it is like Charleston was my L.A. And now I've come back, and it feels con- it feels good to be country again. Yeah, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. You've you you've had your coming of age story. Now you're a man, and you know how to act right. Yes, and you know what you value. Yeah, and you know you don't need to impress or be impressed. Yes. Would you, uh, this, this email, um, I'm only going to read a part of it, but this kind of would apply to you. Would you want to answer something? Okay. It says, a long time ago, they wrote more things. Uh, they said, a long time ago, this is addressed to both of us. Dusty said that Hannah's a stay-at-home mom. I also quit my job to take care of my two boys, and I treasure every day seeing them grow up. It's way more important to me than chasing after a few more bucks. But I'm always embarrassed to tell people what I do. Some people think it's lazy that I'm not out here making money or that I'm not living up to my potential anymore. Could you say more about the pros of a stay-at-home mom? It's a good gig. I mean, who wants to work? 
I mean, I don't want to work. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've worked. I worked and hustled and did the whole thing. And I don't you know, mean to, I have an IMDb profile, okay? I don't mean to put you on the spot to just say positive things either. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like I'm reading that and, mm -hmm. I, and then I'm staring at you going, say it's good. <laughs> but I, but I, I agree. I just want to say I agree with this person that it is more important to raise your children. Now, if you can't do it, you can't do it. But if you can't afford to not do it, it is more important to raise your children. Yeah, I mean, I did work forever, and I hustled, and I was ambitious, and I appreciate the gig I have now, because it's a gig. I'm more tired now than I ever was before, because it is a gig, um, and I don't get a uh, paycheck, but my husband lets me go to Target, you know, so I still am making money, <laughs> you know. That I sounds like <laughs> the worst endorsement for, I don't get a paycheck, but my husband lets me go to Target. <laughs> well, here's the thing. But I know what you mean. Well, I mean, a lot of people, you know, or feminists or whatever will spin it like you're just some sort of unappreciated housewife. But dude, I've had bosses. Y you know, you, you, if you think your husband's over you, in some cases that he, he might be, but well, you want some stranger boss man or woman over you? I mean, someone's always over you. And you're acting like that you'd rather go to work and pencil push or, you know, fight for a job that stresses you out and, you know, takes over your life. And then you miss all this precious time with your kid. And I mean, I do like being there. I like, I like that I wake up and can just relax. There's not some shuffle to daycare or there's not some mad rush and to, you know, get to a job. And I mean, but I also, I'm, a, I think I'm in a very, very privileged position because I had kids later. I went for my dreams. I immigrated to the U S I've traveled a ton. I mean, I've lived my life, you know, and uh, more importantly, I'm, I'm in a financial position where I don't need to work. And, and that's a rare position for four families. That's a very rare position for families. So I don't take it lightly, which is why I say it's a good gig, which is why I say who wants to work? You know, I don't. Meanwhile, really. our baby's been crying for about five minutes. Yeah. You know, so. I, but yes, I think that's a great answer. And I appreciate that. Yeah. Because I, I, I do. I mean, it is like, you know, it's like Hannah works really hard. I mean, her job is hard. And it's like, and I know that because when I come off the road, I try to relieve her and give her moments. But it's like, it is still like, even I, I'm with the baby alone for, you know, two hours. And I'm like, oh, man, Hannah's done this all day, every day for three days. And this is a lot. I try to be uh, be of some relief, but I'm I'm really not that much relief. Um, and, and like, you know, there definitely when people ask me what you do or what's your job or you have to fill it out on something, there is, I think I've been conditioned to sort of feel like, oh, I'm just a mom or I'm just a stay-at-home mom because I anticipate that people just think, oh, okay. Like, but at the same time, like I know, uh, I know that I'm very lucky to have the life that I have and that, uh, you know, I don't want to go back to work. I don't want, you know, I like to be busy. I like to be creative. But I'm very lucky that we're, we have a very comfortable life and I get to raise my daughter and, and have a say in, you know, who's around my daughter every day and to make her feel comfortable. But I do need to go get her because she's upset. Yeah. Okay. All right. So thank you for that email. Uh, and thank you, Hannah, for that, uh, uh, for that answer. Uh, that was great. And Hannah has to go take care of the baby. 
And um, I did want to just mention one more. Someone sent in this email, and it said, um, uh, a few things I wanted to mention. I love how you emphasize how hard divorce is on kids and how much better it is for them to be with two parents. I know you aren't being judgmental and realize not everyone can provide this for the kids. But divorce seems to be so less cas- or so casual, and so many people choose to divorce at the expense of children. I appreciate, uh, though you are speaking from experience and you're still saying it out loud and at least talking about it. Well, I think the two things really go hand in hand, right? It's like when we stay married, you're in a better opportunity to be able to provide uh, a stay-at-home parent for the kid, right? So you're able to raise your family. Now, I know that some people, even both parents working, are not able to do this for whatever reason. So it is not judgment. Um, It it is is not judgment if you're a single parent. And, um, you know, and I'm not also not judging you if you are divorced and you've been in some sort of abusive relationship. In fact, I'm not judging you at all. I don't care what people do. But I do think it's important um, to stay married. Um, I mean, my parents didn't stay married, and I'm— I can't even see my parents being married to each other. It was a very short marriage. Uh, And I love both of my parents, but I can't see them being married. But I know that even to this day, I mean, I'm 40 years old, and it still complicates things. And it complicates things because I care about my parents and they care about me, right? If I didn't care about them or if they didn't care about me, well, that'd be easy, right? You you know, but but I go – down to Alabama, and this is the first time I've ever worked it like this, where I visit, stay with my mom and have my dad come and visit me. And it's like, ideally, you know, I would go home to my parents' house. My mom and my dad would be there. My siblings could come over and we could all just have family time. But now I go home and my I go, oh yeah, um, I'm at my mom's house, hoping maybe my dad could come over later. Uh, as long as they don't mind, you know, my stepmom coming. And I don't think any of my family minds that, but it's not the same. It's not the same as just going home. Like you see movies, right? I see lots of movies where kids uh, go home for, for Christmas and all their family's there. It's like, I've never known that sort of thing. You know, I've had family gatherings, but I've never known things where my mom, my dad, my sisters, my you know, all the grandkids are all there in one house. I mean, I got a wild family tree, probably not as wild as some, but it's pretty wild. So, um, you know, um, that's just how, um, how things are, right? So I just think that if you can stay married, uh, then your kids are going to grow up better. Uh, you're going to have, um, an easier life, I think sometimes people's uh, wants get in the way of, you know, they'll be like, oh, but I'm not in love anymore, or I'm not uh, sexually attracted to my partner anymore. And it's like, you know, life is about so many more of those things, and your commitment that you've made is bigger than that, you know? So I just want to give encouragement to people that, that are married but thinking about getting divorced or whatever, and you have kids. If you don't have kids, who cares, right? Get divorced. I don't care. Um, but if you have kids, I mean, like really, you know, think about it and think about the impact that that will have on your kids. And if you say, oh, well, that's better than us fighting all the time in front of the kids. And it's like, well, maybe, you know, stop fighting in front of them. 
you know? And I'm not, I'm not some parenting guru. I don't even know. I'm told that you're not allowed to give financial advice, medical advice. I don't know if you're allowed to give parenting advice, especially when you're, you know, the parent of just a 21 or a 20 month old baby. And I'm, but I'm, so I'm not giving any advice of any kind. I'm just sharing my thoughts and I appreciate the email. Um, I just feel like marriage, staying married, makes your family stronger. It makes all members of the family stronger. I mean, I have a lot of stories about growing up in a trailer park, but had my parents stayed married, um, I would not have those stories. I, I wouldn't have them. And uh, I said that in a negative way, but I meant it in a positive way. You know, it's like all the things that have happened in our life has put us where we are, right? So it's like, It'd be easy for me to say, oh, I wish my parents would have been married and then I could have had this kind of career or this kind of career. But then I look at my life now and I go, well, I like what I have. So are there any regrets? And I've already said it's hard to have regrets when you're, when you're happy with your life. Sometimes I go on and on and I go, did that make sense? I don't know. But um, things are great. Stay tuned for a podcast about the land. Uh, thank you for tuning in. Uh, I appreciate you. We're having a good time.